I'm Reverend Thorne Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye Jr. Uh, we're waiting to hook up with uh, uh, State Senator Bob Hasegawa from the 11th uh, Legislative District. And also, uh, we're in the process of getting with uh, uh, the president and CEO of the National Urban League, Mark Moriel. So uh, uh, before we start, I just want to give a shout out to a few people. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to thank the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department, a Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, SeaTac Bar Group LLC, they own the Mountain Room Bar, and African Lounge out at Concourse A at SeaTac, and they most recently uh, were rated, the African Lounge is the, the top seven, the number seven uh, restaurant in all the airports uh, in uh, the United States of America. So uh, we'll be going on to uh, Mark Moriel and our Senator Bob as soon as uh, we hear from them. And I also see Larry Gossett, uh, uh, Senator John Levick, and Representative uh, Jamila Taylor on the front page of this week's uh, Seattle Medium as uh, the governor signing a bill to remedy discrimination in housing. And that's a, a, a big leap forward. All right, then I tell you what, why don't we just go ahead and take a break until we get to the folks on the line, okay? At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Eddie Ride back at Urban Forum Northwest, still trying to hook up with my guest uh, and taking care of important business, I know. But a quick observation about what happened last night on CNN. And I must say that uh, when Don Lemon and Victor Blackwell, two African-American male hosts, uh, suddenly departed uh, CNN with the invitation to 45 last night is a clear indication that uh, this uh, cable channel seemed to be going in another direction. So, okay, let uh, me introduce uh, the president and CEO of the National Urban League, Mark Moriel, and hey. our local star, uh, the president and CEO of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, Michelle Merriweather. Hey, Michelle, how are you? And, and hey. we were chatting before we... Uh, came back in from the governor's interview uh, to talk about what the, the National Urban League has been up to. We have a good idea of what the Seattle Urban League is up to and the Tacoma Urban League. They both have outstanding housing programs. I'll give them credit. So uh, 
Uh, uh, CEO Murray, I'll go right ahead with the priority. Yeah, I want to just thank you, uh, Eddie, for having me. And certainly it's always great to be out with Michelle, who continues to uh, make big waves uh, and is one of our new uh, new star CEOs out in the Emerald City, out in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. Uh, but I'm glad to just be able to come on and bring your uh, listeners up to date on the State of Black America report, which we released uh, about three weeks ago. And it's something everyone must take a look at. Uh, it's available at NUL.org, and it's about democracy and peril. It's about uh, hate and white supremacy and nationalism and how this movement uh, is now infected the body politic in many states with elected officials and journalists trumpeting the rhetoric, but more than trumpeting the rhetoric, operationalizing these hateful ideas into legislation to suppress the vote, to suppress our history, to censor books, to deny climate uh, a risk uh, all across the land. And we wanted to do the report to connect the dot between the rhetoric and the movement of hate and public policy, how it is now impacting. Look, Eddie, there were uh, nearly a thousand proposals to ban books, to suppress Black history courses and curriculum, to attack uh, DE&I. Uh, this effort is widespread. It's not just in red states, and it's in blue states. It's touching city councils, uh, school boards, uh, state legislatures, gubernatorial executive orders, attorney general directives all across the nation. So what do we say? It's a call to action. We must fight back uh, intelligently and forcefully in every tool we have at our disposal. And one tool is, is to call it out. Another tool is to document what we see. Another tool is to build this coalition uh, of those who embrace a different vision, a vision of equity, a vision of justice, a vision of real freedom, freedom to vote, freedom to learn, uh, freedom to earn a decent wage with good benefits, freedom to uh, live a quality of life. Uh, and we have to embrace that vision of an America which is multicultural, multiracial, multireligious, multiethnic, multi-orientation. And that's what this state of Black America is about, is a call to action, uh, to work and to fight back. So we've got great contributing authors, uh, Wes Moore, the new governor of Maryland, for one, uh, Senator Cory Booker for another, several cabinet officers and activists and leaders uh, have contributed to the report. So at NUL.org, you can check out the report. It's free. We want people to download it, share it with their friends and family. We want teachers and professors and community leaders. We want pastors and others to use it as a tool uh, with their congregations, with their members, with their constituents, and with their followers. So. Uh, uh, that is the state of Black America this year, uh, releasing it uh, again uh, every single year since 1976, when the uh, legendary Vernon Jordan conceived of the report and released the first one. And in terms of uh, uh, politics, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, trying to attempts to erase Black history from American history. Uh, also, we're talking about these hate groups. What about the, the event that occurred last night on CNN? And I find it very peculiar that as soon as Don Lemon and Victor Blackwell, two black male hosts, 
are booted out the door, we come back in with an invitation to Donald Trump. I was just want to hear you. It comment. was so staged. I mean, you can listen to the audience questions, and I, it looks like they allowed Donald Trump to handpick his own audience, and that uh, you know removed this authenticity uh, from it being a real town hall. Usually, at a town hall, uh, it's not a it's not it's not preaching to your supporters. Uh, it's more open with people who are going to challenge. You know, when challenged Donald Trump, and Donald Trump wouldn't even let the person asking him questions he cuts off interrupts does what he does but it was a it was a continuing display of uh of uh of hate and division and uh and a manifestation of uh, how he has taken this movement of hate and sought to mainstream it uh uh, uh if you will uh, uh, make it normal make it acceptable and that's why we're in a different place uh, in America today. That's why the this is different. Some say it feels different. It is different. And, uh, you know, we have to all use our voices to work and fight against this. I mean, it was good to see the state of Washington uh, join eight other states in adopting a, an assault weapons ban. Uh, you all in Washington, you know, are leading the way on a number of issues. Uh, Contra. So there's work at the state level, work at the council level, work at the county level, work at the local level, work in the neighborhoods uh, to fight back. We go to Texas this summer uh, for our annual conference, but we will open our conference with a rally because we'll make it unequivocal of our opposition to the governor there, but the governor's policies uh, and what he is standing for, uh, the effort to take over the Houston Independent School District, the effort to ban DE&I, we have to speak up and speak out everywhere we go. And I agree. We see the same kind of thing happening in Jackson, Mississippi, with the legislature trying to exercise uh, the city where most of the Black folks are and have a police force around the white community. So we do see that. It's uh, a form of colonialism. 21st century colonialism. You walk in you take over a city so that its own voters and its own elected officials have no say. This is the antithesis of American democracy. This is the antithesis of self-determination. Uh, and uh, I know the uh, friends at the NAACP have challenged it in court. We support that effort. We had Mayor Lumumba with us on Monday and Tuesday, rather, in New York uh, as a part of our Safe and Just Community Summit. Uh, and he talked about what uh, what he's facing and what they are up against. Uh, I know that you deal with a lot of decision makers. I know we waited on you to get online. You were having a meeting with a member of Congress before you came on to, to speak with uh, Michelle Merriweather and Eddie Rye. So what are, we know what's spelled out in, uh, you've articulated uh, the uh, report on Black America for 2023. Uh, in terms of the priorities right now, what would you encourage folks in the Black communities and local urban leagues and their supporters to do right now to effectuate change? Well, I think we, we're we back to an environment uh, of uh, congressional gridlock because of Republican opposition in the House to anything sensible and meaningful. Uh, combined with the Senate filibuster, we have a focus now on making sure that we leave no judicial vacancy behind 
All these judicial vacancies need to be filled. The Senate has to accelerate its confirmation process where the Democrats do have a majority. But that is key. We have to focus on that. Second, we've got to focus on implementation of these big economic bills. Uh, the infrastructure bill, I was in a conversation earlier today with Pete Buttigieg, learning about uh, uh, more about the implementation of the infrastructure bill and the opportunities there, but also the barriers to Black business participation that have to be uh, knocked down, historic barriers that limit uh, the participation of Black businesses when they grow to a particular size, they in effect become ineligible for disadvantaged business programs, which is not fair because these, these rules are a relic of 30, 35 years ago. So, you know, that is the, thirdly, we will not rest until the George Floyd Justice and Policing Bill is passed. We will not rest until the John Lewis Voting Rights uh, Advancement Act is passed. We will not rest until the Freedom to Vote Bill has passed. These uh, are unfinished business uh, on the agenda uh, that we have to continue to fight, you know, and, and work for. So there's many, many things. Just because there's congressional gridlock does not mean we stop, does not mean we rest, does not mean we don't continue to work. Uh, and also that makes state and local doubly important. Uh, those things that may not be able to get a gain momentum at the state level, I mean, rather at the federal level, there's the state and local level. Implementation of infrastructure is going to be up to the state government in Washington, the city government in Seattle, the King County uh, and Tacoma. Uh, these uh, county, state, local government agencies are going to receive money. They'll be picking the projects. They'll be making determinations. They'll be picking the contractors. They'll be determining whether minority businesses participate. So we got to focus on the fact that the implementation uh, by 90% of the decisions on the infrastructure bill are not going to be made in Washington. They're going to be made at the state and local level. So we have to focus on implement. We worked hard to pass these economic bills. Now we have to ensure that our community participates in and benefits from this from a jobs and a contracting point of view. So I'm encouraging people in the community to ask questions, be aggressive, be loud, uh, loud and intelligent. Uh, in asking the right questions and pushing people to live up to the things that they have promised. Uh, the opportunity on the economic side is significant, but it will not happen serendipitously. It will not happen automatically. It will not happen just because. We have to continue to work, and that's the work of the Urban League and the Seattle Urban League and the Urban League across the country, uh, to work with, uh, but also hold folks accountable. One problem we've had with uh, all the federal transportation dollars is that white females are considered to be disadvantaged business enterprises. So true to form in Washington state, 80 to 90% of that uh, money went uh, to those female-owned businesses. Uh, That's why, Eddie, I, I've been a long advocate. This, this was a case in New Orleans of having sec uh, two sets of goals. Uh, you know, I think that the white, white women who've been denied uh, certainly should have uh, fair opportunities, but I believe that they should not supplant the opportunities for businesses owned by Black people or Latinos or Indigenous or, or Asian. And so sometimes the agency needs, if, if they have the uh, two sets of goals, 
you know, a goal for women and a goal for people of color. Uh, you know, we have to learn uh, from uh, from this and and understand that that reality that you've just mentioned is a reality. So it's not to derogate uh, white-owned women uh, businesses at all, but it is to recognize that we have to, and if that that means the overall participation goals are higher, then uh, then so be it. And you know, you have. You know, there's a lot of examples of of, uh, of, of, of of businesses changing ownership to wives and daughters. Uh, maybe not in so legitimate a way. Some legitimate, some not, uh, to take advantage of these uh, these programs. So, point well made. But let's be clear. You know, we're not trying to cut anybody off or out. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to make sure that when you say meaningful participation of those who've been locked out and left out. Black people and Latinos and indigenous and Asian at the center of that. Yeah. Uh, now, in terms of uh, reparations, it would seem to me that if it's going to be a legitimate thrust for reparations, that we would have like uh, a uh, set aside program for African descendants of the United States enslaved. We know who we are, and 23andMe know who we, who we are. Uh, it would be the same thing with having a department in every federal agency dedicated uh, to African descendants of the United States enslaved. And in, in addition to that, when you read the history and the chronicles of uh, all of the atrocities that uh, African Americans faced, uh, they always were ran off their land if uh, uh, some Black person did something that they had to end up lynching or mutilating, and uh, they would uh, just burn up a whole town. I can recall one incident in uh, OCO, Florida, in 1920, a brother went to vote, and the folks got upset and burned down all the black houses and the black businesses. So I'm thinking that land should also be part of the reparations equation because black folks were consistently ran off property. We can look when uh, Andrew Johnson made the deal to withhold the federal troops out of the South during Reconstruction. A lot of land was lost. Just wanted to hear your comment on that. Well, I think so. I wanted to, to you know, I think one thing we have to understand about slavery is that is it is an institution that predates the founding of the United States in 1776. In fact, uh, it goes all the way back to 1500 mm-hmm. uh, and Lisbon, Portugal, and African black Af- people of African descent who found their way uh, uh, transported through the transatlantic slave trade to South America and the Caribbean. Uh, so most African Americans who are of Caribbean descent uh, have slavery in their ancestry. You know, those of us, like in my family, I can trace back to the Whitney Plantation on my mother's side. Uh, the those ancestors who were enslaved, right? They were on the Whitney Plantation between 1800 and 1860, uh, and uh, and freed by the Emancipation Proclamation. So I think we have to understand the gravamen of slavery uh, went beyond the United States. It was, you know, it was carried out by the colonial powers, France, Spain, England, uh, the Netherlands, for example. Uh, and, and, and I think we have to understand that. I feel, you know, very, very strongly that the c- proposed commission on reparations, which was part of H.R. 40, which we could not get past in the first two terms has to be part of that unfinished agenda I spoke about. 
And if we can't get a congressional commission, we need a presidential commission uh, on reparations. The state of California just this week uh, released a report. I haven't looked closely at the report. I've seen an executive summary of the report. But the fact that states and then cities like San Francisco or cities like uh, a city in uh, Illinois and a city in Evanston. Is it Evanston, Illinois? Evanston, I believe you, yeah. But here's the thing we got to be, we can't let the reparations discussion just be about money. It has to be about broad policy changes that have a permanency to it. Uh, Because if it's only about money, some will say, well, we'll provide money and then we'll go keep the same policies in place. Right. right? We have to have, you know, and if, if the George Floyd tragedy and this and, and his murder means anything, it wakes this nation up to understanding institutional racism and structures that are in place. It, uh, you know, we are paying a price for redlining today uh, because we don't have multi-generational wealth, right? We are paying a price for income disparities today because our family members and our great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers worked in jobs. They had no access to schools or they had access to inferior schools. Uh, They couldn't work in certain jobs and therefore they did not get an opportunity to accumulate income commensurate with their talent and ability we continue to pay that and that's you know we have to you know paint this picture for people uh, to understand what we are talking about because 1964 civil rights act and uh, you know uh, ostensibly uh, ended racial discrimination in the workplace but how many cases are there a year how many cases are there? How many housing uh, uh, civil rights cases or education civil rights cases? Catherine Lehman, Assistant Secretary of uh, for Civil Rights at the Department of Education, spoke to us last week uh, at our summit and told us that 19,000 civil rights complaints are filed at the Department of Education each year. Ten years ago, it was 8,000. We are seeing an increase, and this is why we have to ring this alarm bell. Yes, indeed. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. While Michelle Merriweather's on here, and before the, the presidency of the National Urban League has to leave, Michelle, I want you to unmute and give him a quick update on what you're doing at your successful organization. Well, we did have the privilege of uh, being together last week. So, um, and Mark is always aware of all the great things we're doing here. But I will say, um, We've grown, um, and, and I think that that is a tribute to the trust that we've been able to build here, the relationships and the advocacy that we've been able to do, um, not only as the Urban League, but in, in partnership and relationship with activists like Eddie Rye, uh, the Eddie Rye, and many others. Over the last few years, we have been able to add um, double down on our housing support and our workforce development support, but also add a full team that's dedicated to advocacy, making sure that we're showing up in Olympia. We're um, advocating for policies that are um, supporting and or against policies that are harming 
um, the folks that we're serving. Uh, we're also heavily involved in um, public health and addressing uh, racism as a public health crisis, both in King County and across Washington State. And I can keep going, but I think I want to also take the time to just say thank you uh, to Mark for for leading the effort and being unapologetic for making sure that uh, the voices of uh, those most marginalized are heard, that the policies are, um, that we are advocating for policies that impact change and that, uh, that, that he's elevating the voices of all of us that are um, in our cities uh, doing this work every day. Well, I just want to say, uh, President CEO Mark Moriel, uh, the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle is uh, the fiscal agent for uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. Commemoration Committee. Uh, and uh, this is Martin Luther King Jr. County, yes. the only municipality yes. in the country named for Martin Luther King Jr. So I just want, you know, and uh, but uh, Michelle and her staff do an outstanding job. As I said, mentioned before, I have to give Linda Taylor a shout out. Always. Their housing program is one of the best around. Yeah. And I, I I think she already met uh, the secretary of HUD, uh, Miss Marsha Fudge, who I got to meet down at uh, Benny Thompson's event. He has like every August up until the pandemic. So, uh, but I, one one of the question, uh, 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 Mr. Moriel, uh, you've heard already about uh, a candidate for the Republican side that's leading in the, for the nomination, indicating that the people who were involved trying to overthrow the United States government would be pardoned. It's, it, it, it's, it's so outrageous. So outrageous. As to border on, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's treacherous, it's treasonous. It's, you know, you are in effect saying in a very transparent way that you sanction the use of violence in politics to get your way, that you sanction an effort to overthrow the government of the United States. It's so, you know, Eddie and Michelle, unprecedented in American history. Uh, and it, it speaks to what you see in uh, some of these despotic nations. I hope people, it's not lost on people that uh, uh, it, it was so just, and that's why it, it's an outrage to you and I, and an outrage to all of us. Let me ask you right back. So we gotta, we gotta, we gotta make sure that we uh, don't sleep 24, right. understand what's at stake at 24. These elections are not about, to me, just a fight between two personalities. And whether I like this personality or I like that personality, it's a clash of agendas. Right. And we have to educate our people that this is not, don't look at these elections as popularity contests uh, where it gets down to whether you like somebody or da, 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 da. Uh, that's a factor because we're people and we're human, but it is a clash of agendas. Yes. And we have to educate our people then when we vote in many of these elections now, we're really not voting as much for a person as we are voting for where we stand. That is what we're doing. And we have to help people not get distracted, distracted by the superficial. 
Yes. That's right. Is Senator Bob, are you on the line? Hey, Eddie. Hey, yeah, uh, President and CEO of the National Urban League, Mark Moriel, and our local star, President and CEO of the Urban League Metropolitan Seattle, Michelle Merriweather on the line. And uh, did you hear uh, the sermon uh, delivered by uh, Mr. Mark Moriel? No, I did not. <laughs> anyway, he was saying we have to count on you on the elected officials. So uh, I don't know how much more time you guys have, but I certainly do appreciate you, uh, President CEO Mark Moriel and our local star. Anytime Urban Lake Metropolitan Seattle has something going on, uh, President Moriel, she knows that she can call and we'll get on right away because uh, they oh, do good work down there. Thank yes. you. Senator Eddie Bob, Rye, thank you for your voice. And Michelle Merriweather, thank you for your outstanding leadership. And uh, look forward to getting out to Seattle sometime soon. Sometime soon. All right. Thank okay. Thank both Safe. of y'all. Have a okay. great day. Be blessed. Okay. Thank you. All right, now. Okay, Senator Bob. Hey, Brother Eddie. Okay. Uh, we know we've got a lot of things going on. I'm sorry that we ran into a little problem, but we did have a chance to get uh, 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 CEO Mark Moriel and Michelle Mary was the CEO of the Urban League in Seattle on for a while. But uh, big things are happening, uh, going to be coming up. I was going to ask you about this past session, but right now a lot of people have their focus and uh, interest on the May 16th special section. What can you share with our listeners about what's going to be on the table and uh, how hard is the fight going to be? It's going to be a big fight. It's a crapshoot at this point. I don't think anybody can predict the outcome, but um, they are trying to come to something that can get 25 votes in the Senate, 50 votes in the House, and the governor to sign on. I'm pretty sure the governor will sign whatever we put on his desk. So I think there's there's a real battle brewing here, in the, undoubtedly, in the legislature because there's a lot of us that don't feel like simple possession ought to be recriminalized to the extent that, at least to the extent that they have in the bill that, that was proposed here. They're trying to, um, this isn't to address a problem that the Supreme, state Supreme Court said in our criminal law around simple possession between knowing and unknowing simple possession. So simple possession means just enough for personal use, not for distribution, not for sale or whatever. It's just simple possession for personal use. And our criminal law made no distinction between knowing and unknowing simple possession. So if somebody rode in the backseat of your car and happened to leave something in the backseat and you didn't know it, you still could get busted for simple possession under the old law and charged with a felony. So the Supreme Court said that's unconstitutional. So what we're supposed to do is fix that problem with the law. But what has happened now is that it's become sort of this Christmas tree to hang all kinds of great ornaments on, and everything else that the bill does, like diversion, uh, treatment, um, all of those things that help people recover from a behavioral health issue, viewing a lot of these issues as behavioral health, not criminal. And we all know the result of what the war on crime or war on drugs has created 
within Senator, our Senator Bob, Bob, I need you to hold on right quick. We'll be joined by Sharon Tomiko Santos. But Eric, can we take this last break? It's not going to be that long, Senator Bob. If you could hold on, we sure would appreciate okay. it. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for sound transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to SoundTransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Organic, free-range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk, 1150. All right, Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, anyway, I want to give the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office a shout-out for their support. The City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department. Uh, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion. And SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. They're on the Mountain Room Bar and the African Lounge out at the Concourse A. And African Lounge is rated as the number the number seven rest, best restaurant in the entire United States. And that's Jerry Whitsitt and Rod O'Neill. Uh, we'll go back with uh, uh, Senator Bob Hasegawa. I'm here. Okay. So uh, let's go back in. We were talking about there's going to be some, a contentious debate regarding a bill that was passed or wasn't passed that would criminalize uh, simple possession of what kind? Of, oh, Sharon Tomiko Santos is here. Oh, she, so she's sorry. all necked out, Bob. She, Bob can't see you, but she's all necked out. Is Bob Hasegawa <laughs> still on there? Uh, yes, Senator Bob. Bob is here. Yes, it's he's here. With me. Yeah. Well, anyway, before you guys get started, I want to say Happy Asian American and Pacific Heritage Month, established in 1992. Was George H. W. Bush the president then? Uh, Clinton. Oh, Clinton. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, H.W. probably wouldn't. Well, anyway. Well, actually, you know, I think 92 was when he was elected. Yeah, I, I think I think, I think, uh, George H.W. did that. that. I he think also you might be us, right. But he also gave us Clarence Thomas, too. So anyway, I'll leave that alone. So, Senator Bob, why don't you finish up that thought, and then we're going to talk to the, the leader of the House over here for a minute. Well, as usual, I think I was getting too into the weeds and long-winded on it. So the bottom line is, I think that's too much what? stuff in it. Oh, you said getting into the weeds. Okay. I, <laughs> I was just checking, Senator. Would you? <laughs> I'm in the confines of behind my closed door office. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, the bill does a lot of good stuff, what they, they're promoting. But the problem is they're trying to recriminalize simple possession, which, and they're trying to make a growth 
gross misdemeanor. So the penalty for gross demeanor actually is worse than before the state Supreme Court issued their decision saying the previous one was unconstitutional because it was a felony, but the the jail time for felony was up to six months, I think it was. But a gross misdemeanor can go up to a year. Mm. And the 364 days. What? 364 <laughs> days. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> leave it her to <laughs> make sure that what I'm about leave years? crossing over the line. So, leave at any rate, it, it's, it's going to be a struggle here because, okay. you know, in, on the Democratic side in the Senate, they ran that bill and a majority of the Democrats voted against it. There was 15 votes against that bill coming out of the Senate. So our own caucus got rolled. Okay. So well, they've got a problem Santos. they have to fix. So that's going to be your major fight for this for during the special session. Now, how many bills are, how many issues are on the table for debate during the special session, Representative Santos? Well, so as far as we know, and uh, I would uh, invite uh, Senator Hasegawa, who is, of course, the caucus chair for the Senate Democrats, uh, and therefore a member of leadership, he may have uh, more current information than I. But uh, typically, when special session is called, it's called for specific topics. And we've been told that there's only one topic uh by agreement of four corners uh to bring up and that is the blake fix so at this point we only anticipate the one bill okay so is this going to be one bill only is that the same thing with the house and the senate you're both focused on the same thing yeah, yeah when we say four corners yeah oh sorry senator go ahead no i was just going to say they want to try and limit it to one issue and realistically i mean in actuality you cannot limit the special session it can do whatever it wants all it takes is a majority of the votes to do some whatever they want to do so but with the governor's directive trying to focus it on this one specific issue i think we can try and hold it down to that well and i guess like the I thing was, so what senator Pasagawa is referencing is it is true uh, it, that um, the governor can call us back for only the one issue, but it's entirely up to the legislators to make the decision. And uh, so when I refer to four corners, what I'm talking about is uh, we often talk about four corners or five corners. Uh, four corners means the House Democrats, the Senate Democrats, the House Republicans, and the Senate Republicans. So we are talking about the legislative leaders uh, coming together. And it is my understanding that, that the Four Corners have agreed uh, to keep it to this one piece. Now, there is another way for other issues to get um, onto the docket, and that would require um, a parliamentary move, which would be, um, which would create some other um uh, spillover effects, but it would essentially require um, uh, the the a parliamentary move uh, to go to the ninth order. In which case, then other things can be added. 
but that would be really rolling the leadership of uh, the four corners. Now, speaking, I think, uh, for the majority party in the House and the majority party in the Senate, which I have no authority to do, but I will do so right now and say, um, I, I would find that it would be a very untenable situation uh, for uh, the rank and file of uh, the chambers to overturn uh, leadership, because once that happens, then there's no, there's no, um, how shall I say it? There's no uh, real incentive to to maintain um, some sense of order. So, Senator Bob, he has a no, position right. already on the legislation. Um, but Senator Bob, why don't you articulate? for our listening audience, exactly what the legislation is, if there's a bill number, and will uh, citizens of the state registered voters have any input uh, to their elected officials on this issue? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 5536, Senate Bill 5536 is the underlying bill, but um, they're working off of a conference report that came out. Uh, It went... 5536 is the Senate bill. So it started in the Senate. It went over to the House. Uh, The House put a better version on the bill and sent it back to the Senate, and the Senate refused to concur. So when that happened, uh, we called for a conference. Both sides agreed to conference on the bill because a bill can't pass both chambers with different language. We have to both agree on the final product. So that's what the conference is supposed to do, is come up with one final product that both sides pass. They could not do that. So um, we're stuck with limbo right now because they couldn't get 25, we couldn't get 25 votes for the House version and the House couldn't get 50 votes for the Senate's version. And the House version is much better, frankly. But uh, it still itself recriminalizes. But that's sort of the compromise. It made it a simple uh, misdemeanor rather than a gross misdemeanor, which in Um, consequence... Yeah. Hello? Representative Santos? No, he's correct. He's correct. That was the House version that the Senate rejected. Correct, because we couldn't get 25 votes for it. So if you can't come up with any uh, uh, consensus, do you just stay down there until you do or what? You have to move, take your suitcase and your goods down there and be prepared for a long stay? Well, a lot well, of the cities don't want us to pass anything because they want to be able to set up their own local laws to deal with it. And then we'll have a patchwork of different criminal laws all around the state. And exactly, it, it, it'll just be out of control. It'll be a huge mess is what it'll be. And if we and don't pass the, the bill, cities. all of the yeah. good stuff that was in the bill that included all of the treatment options and diversion from uh, criminal justice system options, all of that stuff goes away. So it'll be sort of, uh, you know, law of the jungle out there. 
Well, we got a couple of minutes left. I want to give Representative Santos that. Hope you're getting better from your accident, ma'am. Thank you. But you're well enough to go to Olympia and fight for the people, right? Always. All right. Now, that's what I want to hear. Go get them. All power to the people. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm sorry I uh, didn't hear everything that Senator Hasegawa uh, referenced, but um, just to add on to this conversation around Blake, um, I was uh, one of the people who voted no uh, on the bill. Um, I think one of the things that I'm not clear about is uh, while the bill did start off with as a Senate bill, uh, because the bill was forwarded uh, to both chambers and it ultimately was brought to a vote on the floor of the House, uh, if I am not mistaken, that bill cannot be considered uh, anymore for the special session. So they will have to file a new bill, is my understanding. So the bill, uh, the old bill number will not be the future bill number. But uh, as Senator Hasegawa indicated, um, they are starting from the bill that the Senate sent over to the House in the first place, Okay, Representative Santos, we're out of time, but as soon as you get me the bill number, I'll make sure that your constituents and Senator Hasegawa's constituents have it because we all want fairness and equity. I want to thank both of you for your time today. I thank you for the work you're doing and representing the people's interests. And keep on fighting for us. We appreciate both of you. And as a matter of fact, I want to let you know that the Congress passed Public Law 102-450 in 1992 to establish Asian Pacific American Heritage Month at, for the month of May. All right. Thank you very much. See you soon. Get well. Thank you.